Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits Podcast, Episode 15. This is Lisa Gonzalez with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I research and write for the Institute and for Muninetworks.org. Today, Christopher Mitchell interviews Jeff Daly, the Executive Director of FiberCorps, located in Lafayette, Louisiana. We've covered Lafayette's municipal fiber network extensively. Jeff's nonprofit works to bring businesses and organizations together and to help them find innovative ways to use the network collaboratively. Here are Jeff and Chris. Jeff Daly, thank you for joining me on the Community Broadband Bits podcast. You are the executive director of FiberCore. Uh, why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about why you moved to Lafayette to start FiberCore? Well, Lafayette, Louisiana caught my attention from a number of levels. Uh, from a professional perspective, my passion has been once you have a fiber network, now what? You know, there's a lot of these networks are built with the promise of revolutionizing healthcare and education and government and business. And yet there's a big gap between the rhetoric and the reality of what's actually happening in these communities. Um, and so a few years ago, um, I, I discovered Lafayette and was while I was going on a little bit of a listening tour of fiber communities in search of innovation. Uh, again, my passion is you got this network. Now what? I wanted to go see what people were doing. And quite frankly, there was a big sense of if you build it, they will come. Uh, that if you just put the network in place, innovation magically springs up. And that obviously wasn't working. Uh, that wasn't happening. And the other challenge that, that the industry, I think, faced was a lot of the communities that had built these networks did, were not of sufficient scale as a community to really have a strong ecosystem for supporting innovation. Uh, I came down to Lafayette, and it was a very different kind of world down here. Uh, down here, we had major industry. We had a major research university. We had committed uh, community leaders who actually knew how to work together. And we had a general sense of the overall spirit of the community saying, we're not afraid of trying to do something big and really trying to go push the envelope you know, in that way. And so from a professional perspective, it really got my attention because it felt like more than any place else in the country, this was a community that had the capacity to actually unlock all the potential that was, uh, that was tapped into that, their fiber network in that way. Then at the same time, there was also the, the personal aspects of it, of I found this was a community that I love to be in. Um, it's a place where if you've heard the word Cajun, most people don't realize it actually refers to a specific physical area. And that's right in the heart. Lafayette is right in the heart of Cajun country. So gumbo, jambalaya, Cajun music, Zydeco music, festivals, Mardi Gras, all this stuff is just rich throughout our culture down here. And so it became a kind of place that I would have never discovered Lafayette if it wasn't for the fiber and my, my interest in, from a professional perspective. But once I got down here, I wanted to keep coming back down here. Um, and so through a, a variety of circumstances, it kind of led to an opportunity where um, I had a chance to go ahead, take my wife, take the plunge, and move on down here to start up this organization, FiberCore. I'm incredibly jealous having visited you and seen uh, what a lovely place Lafayette is, how hospitable the people are, and how wonderful the network is. It is an incredible network that, that you get to use on a daily basis. So you started FiberCore. What exactly is FiberCore? So FiberCore is a community nonprofit focused on the goal of making Lafayette into a test bed for next generation applications. Uh, we are made up of six community stakeholder organizations, uh, Lafayette Consulted Government, the Greater Lafayette Chamber of Commerce, Lafayette Economic Development Authority, the University of Louisiana Lafayette, the Community Foundation of Acadiana, and the Louisiana Immersive Technologies Enterprise, a 3D visualization facility in our community. How we go about doing the work that we do, the theory that drives all of it is this idea of social infrastructure, that when you look at trying to push innovation and how we can utilize these networks to revolutionize our communities, um, most often people talk about it in technology terms, but, techno but the technology is arguably the easy part on a lot of this. The tough part are the social challenges, and by social infrastructure, we mean 
the behaviors and relationships of individuals and organizations. You know, you can have the best tool in the world, but if you can't get someone to use that tool, if you can't get organizations to change the relationships they have between each other that these tools make possible, then you're never going to realize the full benefit of that. But what, so that was what I saw as one of the biggest barriers to more innovation happening in this space, which is why I wanted to create a nonprofit organization that could serve as a fair broker in the community, a convener, someone who can pull people together, who doesn't have a profit motive um, at the table, who simply has the motive of what's going to be best for the community, and trying to find um, opportunities for collaboration to occur between individuals and organizations around projects of common interest. It's interesting uh, in some ways. Your interest has long been broadband. You weren't a municipal broadband guy from the start. I think you became more interested in municipal broadband because uh, some of these networks have just have such an incredible capacity that you know a Comcast doesn't have and that Verizon doesn't really fully unleash. But I am curious, um, would you have gone to Kansas City? Would you expect the same sort of things from a network owned by Google as you're finding in, in Lafayette if we uh, ignore any, any cultural differences of the people presently? Well, so I, th I think you definitely hit something on there where I'm, re I'm really not a municipal fiber guy. I'm a fiber guy. I'm excited about the technology. Uh, I started in this space as a technology journalist writing for a trade publication about the business of online video delivery. And that's where I first discovered Fiber to the Home because when you're trying to uh, send video down, this was seven, eight years ago, trying to send video to end users, that last mile bottleneck is your biggest constraint at that point. And there's all sorts of junk you have to do to try to work with those little tiny pipes. And so when I, when I discovered Fiber to the Home, I went, well, wait a minute that completely upends that whole paradigm, you know, and gives you all sorts of additional capacity. Um, and so th what led me into being, having a particular interest in municipal fiber was a recognition that one, there really isn't, a, you know, other than the big Verizon Fios um, and now Google, there really isn't a lot going on across the country for fiber deployment. When you look at it from the perspective of what is gonna be the engine that allows us to get as much fiber deployment as humanly possible in this country. The economics of it only really work if you are looking at it from a total value proposition of what are you getting by making this investment. If you're looking at it purely from the dollars and cents, you're not capturing the total value proposition of what this infrastructure can mean to communities, which I think is why you see communities take the lead on this, because they recognize that, hey, yeah, your telecom provider, you may decide it's not worth it because it's not going to make enough of a return for your money. But you know what? It's going to make enough return for our community that we can justify going and doing it. So with regard to your question then about Google and what they're going to be able to do, it's really hard to say with that one in particular um, because Google's taking such a different approach um, to it. Um, I think what is likely to happen is that um, you're going to be able to see a lot of big things happen because it's a bigger city. It's, a, it's Google, and they're going to be throwing significant resources at it. But I think they're going to have a, a, some real challenges overcoming this, uh, this barrier of social infrastructure in that way. Um, because the challenge is if you're too small, then you don't have enough resources to necessarily do really innovative kinds of things and have the ecosystem you need to support that. But then if you're too big, it can be really hard to get everyone around a table and actually working together. You know, the fact, you know, and I don't know Kansas City well enough to be able to say this directly, but, you know, are they the kind of community that can get all these different community stakeholders around the table on a monthly basis saying we want to collaborate to achieve these common goals? It's something that I think just getting, just getting to know people are and then getting them in the same room together and then getting them to actually agree to work together is going to be a challenge. Um, I certainly wish the best for them. I wish the best for all communities um, out there that are striving to either get fiber deployed or ways to maximize the value of, of that fiber. Um, but what I think is interesting about, unfortunately, what we continue to see happen, and it's happened to some degree even in Kansas City, even though we've seen a little bit uh, to try to address this, 
is that you continue to have people taking this, if you build it, they come mentality um, towards the process, um, where while Google was going through the process of building the network, they didn't spend a lot of time talking about how are we going to use this network. You're now starting to see some of that happen more. Uh, some of the folks in Kansas City have taken it upon themselves to start driving that conversation. But in my opinion, you need to have that conversation happening from starting on day one and continuing through the entire process. It's not saying, hey, we want to build the network for all these great things, and then let's go figure out, spend all our time figuring out how to build the network. And then once it's built, let's go figure out how to make some use out of it. You're going to be missing so many opportunities along that process if you take that approach. And unfortunately, that is the dominant paradigm currently in the country. Um, and so my big encouragement to communities is to make sure you're recognizing you're building this for a reason. And it's not to have cheaper bandwidth and to have this infrastructure. It's to recognize all is to realize all these benefits in education, in healthcare, and these kinds of things. And the only way you're going to be able to achieve that, the infrastructure itself is, is barely even half the equation. Because it's really about having your organizations that are part of your communities be willing to take on an entire cultural shift and how they think and how they change the way they do business. And that is not a minor, that is not a minor challenge. No, it absolutely is not, particularly where you have people who feel threatened by change. Um, and so now I'm curious how you've bit off a very hard task, right? You, I don't want to say it's more than you can chew because I know that you have a very big mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I should also say, in case this, this does make the final cut, that, that you and I are, are old friends, so I feel okay insulting you to your face over the over Skype camera with more than a thousand miles separating us. <laughs> <laughs> so finish the question. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. You, you took on a real hard challenge. You are an outsider moving into a culture which is famous for uh, having some distrust and, uh, and, uh, and putting up some barriers and you come in and you have to try and bring these people to sit around the same table and find ways of breaking down barriers. So, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about what FiberCore has done and what lessons you've learned for others who need to break down barriers and get people around a table to really try and figure out how you can get the most benefit out of a, a community network, uh, community fiber network specifically. Absolutely. Well, it's, there's no simple answer to that question, um, and there's no clear cut. This is how you go do it. Um, the, the really the only way you can do it is just to go get your hands dirty and start doing it. And and you're gonna make mistakes, and you're gonna you're gonna kick over because basically a part of what that job is is you have to go into a community and start kicking over rocks, and you don't know what you're gonna find underneath those rocks. But it's your job to not know any better and and to kind of keep kicking. Um, and so, do you think it's best for someone new? Um, I actually, I, I honestly do. Um, I think it's a big challenge, especially in smaller communities, because everyone has history with each other. And so if you're trying to have someone come in and be a convener, someone who uh, lots of various different parties can build trust within a central entity, doing that with someone who's from within the community, who has um, all, all the potential baggage associated with them can be challenging. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it's very much, it's very much possible. You don't have to have a Jeff Daly to come in to do this. Uh, I'm not trying to suggest that. Um, but there is, a, there is a big advantage, I think, to being an outsider, actually. Um, uh, you, you made the comment about how you know, being in a smaller town sometimes would be harder to get in. One big advantage that I had um, in Lafayette is my relationship with Lafayette started about five years ago. Uh, that's when I first came down uh, to Lafayette. I, I kept finding a variety of excuses to come back. I found I could only go about two months without real Cajun food before I'd start getting the itch. Because um, you may have realized that, Chris, now once you get a real deal gumbo, 
you really can't get it anywhere else. <laughs> it's, it's very hard. It's a, it's a difficult burden those of us who have visited Lafayette and left have to live with. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I had a unique situation in that by the time I actually um, moved to Lafayette, I'd already been coming to Lafayette for two or three years. Um, so I already had a pretty decent network within the community. Um, uh, we had also been able to pull off a great event called FiberFet, where we got 75 experts around the world to come meet with 75 local leaders for three days. Got 26 local companies to sponsor it. We paid for all of our out-of-towners' hotel rooms, all their food. The, it was the works. It was a great kind of experience. So we had something that we had already accomplished by the time I, I moved down here. And we were also unique in, in, in a community in that so many of the community leaders here have a history with each other in the good way not the bad way. You know, they have a history of working together and accomplishing these things together. And so there was already some of those networks to be able to tap into um, in that way. To give you a sense of some of the things we've been able to accomplish um, serving this role of trying to be a, a convener and addressing the social infrastructure, um, part of the, one of the decisions we made early on was to not focus solely on technologies that can only be, uh, can only leverage the fiber or that are only optimized for leveraging the fiber. You know, we're still in the earliest days in terms of technologies that are really pushing the bandwidth envelope into the 10, 20, 100 meg um, kind of range. Most of what's out there is still built for the old internet, you know, of one meg, five meg, that kind of range. And so we really try to look at it from more of a strategic perspective of what are some of the foundational technologies that are going to touch a lot of different people within the community that you need to be able to have a fair broker to pull people together on collaborating on. And so an example of that was we got Lafayette selected as the pilot site for the State Health Information Exchange, um, or HIE. Um, HIE is, you know, basically just allows doctors to share data with each other in the most basic way, um, whether it's, you know, test results or, um, you know, old medical records or any of that kind of medical information. Well, it's interesting, because another example of the other big advantage we had in Lafayette is this has been a community of people who have been trying to push the envelope for a long time. So Lafayette actually tried to build its own HIE back, back in like 1995, which is almost pre-internet, you know, in that way. Um, but the challenge, the biggest challenge they faced, they were, there were definitely some technological challenges at that point, but the bigger challenge was that healthcare providers did not trust each other enough to share their data with each other. They saw it as their data. Why am I going to share it with my competitor uh, down the road? And so now that there's a big federal effort to try to get H statewide HIEs going on across the country, uh, federally funded, Louisiana is one of the, the states to get money to do that. Um, we saw that as an opportunity to say, Hey, rather than, um, be a state organization who's trying to go sell to all these individuals, why don't we as the local convener nonprofit, who our only interest is trying to see Lafayette be on the leading edge of healthcare technologies so that we can achieve the greatest healthcare results, why don't we start driving the conversation around this technology, start getting the dialogue going on between the hospitals so they can start understanding what the value proposition of this is going to be, start so that we can start understanding what are their challenges and motivators as hospitals so that we can be a conduit of that information back up to the state level at the same time and really try to get some better communication going. Um, and it's turned out to be a, a real success for us because the simple act of just pulling people around a table, getting them talking to each other, making sure they're educated about where things are at with this technology, using their feedback and, and funneling that back up to the state level um, has allowed us to be able to, and there, there should be a, a press release coming out in the next few weeks, um, of how our region, the Acadiana region, is leading the state um, in terms of adoption. I believe we're going to be uh, significantly over 50% of hospitals who have signed up for the HIE, um, which is a, a huge win uh, for us in that way. And while it's not a technology that necessarily is going to leverage fiber in a huge way, you know, you can use old broadband in order to do that. Um, it's something that touches everyone. It's a foundational technology. And if you want to be a place that's building the future of healthcare technology, you have to have the HIE in place first. 
because uh, without that, you're never going to be able to do all the other stuff that you may want to do. Um, so I think that'd be you know one example of the kind of project of how we kind of came in and tried to directly address this social infrastructure. We didn't touch the technology. We didn't touch any of that. All we were doing was trying to build trust within the system, get a dialogue going between people, and help push the process along um, in that way. As you talk about the HIE, I suspect that it's mostly sort of what we might think of as small broadband uses. And you're talking about the social capital and the need to stay away from the technology. And I'm curious at what point having such a robust network will make a difference for these relationships that you've created. Well, we're, we're already starting to see that in a couple of levels. So one of the projects that we've already accomplished, and then I'll share one that we're working on now. Uh, one is that we, uh, a few months ago, we went live with Lafayette's first telemedicine clinic. Um, uh, Stellar Settings, the largest manufacturer of jewelry in the country, is headquartered in Lafayette, another example of this great industry that we have. Because it's a jewelry company, they've got significant security. Um, so it's a pretty big inconvenience to go see the doctor if you work at that company. They wanted to make healthcare more accessible um, so that they could, well, for one, they just really care about their workers and they're trying to give them the best experience they can. But there's also the fact that if you get healthcare more accessible, you can end up with a healthier workforce, which means a more productive workforce, which also means lower health at the same time. We also had a hospital in town, Lafayette General Medical Center, the largest community hospital in the area. They really wanted to experiment with new ways of being able to extend care closer to the, to the patients and into a more convenient kind of fashion. And so they both had a desire to, to create this telemedicine clinic. The challenge was um, it's, the technology of it was simple. It was plug and play, uh, basically. I mean, there's a little more nuance to that, but it was re relatively simple. The challenge was the social infrastructure of that project. First, we had to define um, what level of services could be delivered through this telemedicine clinic, because you can't do everything that you would do in a, in a first person. Then you have to define what's the legal agreement between the two organizations. Then you have to decide what's the physical space going to look like where this is actually going to be housed. Then you've got to find the workers who are going to go into that space. Then you've got to come up with what's your marketing plan for, uh, letting, uh, for educating workers at Stuller about the, the, the possibility of, of this clinic. Then you've got to look at ways you can expand the clinic's functionality over time. So this was a project that, that wasn't our idea. It, was, it came from the community. But um, and it ended up taking almost a year and a half before we actually went live with it because of all these challenges associated with the social infrastructure. But what the great thing was, the biggest challenge that we didn't have to worry a lick about was the bandwidth because both of them were LUS Fiber customers. They had plenty of bandwidth going between the two of them locally. Um, so we didn't, I, I believe they didn't even set up any specialized connection. They just, since they were both LUS Fiber customers, they're both locally here, they were able to set up a little VPN between the two and they rocked and rolled. You know, normally you want to do something like that, you're gonna have to go set up a specialized connection, you're gonna be paying a whole bunch of money, then you gotta figure out who's gonna pay for that connection. In this case, with the infrastructure already in place, that lowered the technology barrier even further uh, in that way. Um, and then something like an HIE becomes that glue that makes sure that all the data that's flowing, it, it can now be something that we could ultimately look at expanding to other workplaces or other hospital providers, or there's a whole bunch of ways you can expand it, but still have it be all interconnected instead of it being a bunch of disparate um, individual entities. Um, so then the other thing, the thing that we're aspiring to now, and we announced earlier this summer, is that um, it, was, it, it was inspired in part by the work we've been doing with FiberCore with these projects inspired by part by an event we had in April called the Cajun Code Fest. It was, um, turned out to be one of the best coding competitions in the country. Um, we had Todd Park, CTO of the country, um, into town. Uh, he did a great, a great tweet coming out of Lafayette where he, he declared us the best kept secret reservoir of innovation mojo in the United States. And that got retweeted by the White House, which needless to say is pretty cool. Very cool. <laughs> uh, but, but even beyond that, he made a comment about one of the things we said to him and kind of you know, pitching our community and saying what's great about us is that we're small enough to be able to work together, but big enough to have re the resources of a bigger city. 
well, he took that and flipped it on us in a very powerful way. He said, you're small enough to be able to operate like a startup, but big enough where whatever you accomplish has national significance. So for example, if we can move the needle on childhood obesity or move the needle on making our, our, ours the kind of place that you can age in place way better than any place else, everyone in the world is going to want to learn how we did it because we're, we're not a tiny town. We're a reasonably uh, reasonable sized town. Right, about 120,000 people, right? 1,000 people in the city, 250,000 in the parish, about a half million in the Acadiana region. Um, and so, and then the fiber network only goes to the 120,000 in the city, but it does reach out to the, all the schools in the parish um, as well. Um, but so that really inspired us to kind of write, take everything we're doing to another level. We announced our intention to become a living lab for health innovation. And by that, we mean both a real world test bed where these technologies can come into um, our doctor's offices and our schools and our uh, businesses, um, but not just the technologies, also the policies and procedures that, that create that entire ecosystem. Because the technology alone, the telemedicine is a perfect example. There, you know, we're, we're looking at some ways where we can uh, be able to expand the reach of that, but we're running into issues with not being able to get reimbursed for a telemedicine visit versus an in-person. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have the policy partners at the table at the same time, you're not going to be able to invent the future of healthcare um, in that way. Uh, the other aspect of the Living Lab is the concept of co-creation, where instead of going and building something in a vacuum and then going and trying to engage end users, you go to the end user and say, what are your problems? And then you build solutions to directly address those problems. And so this is something that we're still in a more conceptual form than operational form, I would say, at this point. But it's an example of the kind of thing that would never have been anything we could have considered doing as a community without this fiber infrastructure in place. But at the same time, we could have never considered doing it if we didn't have the social infrastructure that's starting to really pull our healthcare providers in a way where they're looking for opportunities to collaborate. Uh, and they're seeing the value of participating in something like this. Um, so I think that gives you a sense of some of the vision for what it is we have accomplished and are looking to accomplish that leverages the fiber as well as this concept of the social infrastructure. It does. It's, it's incredibly helpful. And as we as we run out of time, I want to give you a, a couple of moments to um, to give our, our listeners some advice in terms of how they can go about starting to create these relationships. And let's let's try and focus a little bit more on maybe a smaller community, let's say, you know, under 50,000. Um, what what should they do to start building these kind of relationships to to figure out how to best use the network and make sure that these conversations are happening? So it doesn't have to be a centrally planned kind of thing, but you can just have the people in the room coming up with ideas organically. So, so some of the advice I'd give is um, it really starts at the beginning of the whole process. So everyone who goes through the process of going and building a community fiber network, they do some level of a needs analysis before they start. Right? They, they look at the community, what are the demands, how are people going to use it. They may start some of that brainstorming process. The challenge is too often that process stops once they start building the network. And then it doesn't get picked up again until once the network's built. Uh, in large part, that's because the needs analysis is, is often driven by the people who are building the network. And quite frankly, they're pretty darn busy building the darn network. You know? So I think it's actually somewhat unfair to expect them to go take the lead on how you're going to use the network. And so I would strongly encourage any community, as you start that process, make sure that it's something that is, go that is being built in parallel with the network. Um, and that more likely than not, you're going to have to have someone lead it who is not the person who's building the network because they're going to be busy just trying to get the network to work and get it, and get it operational in that way. In terms of defining who should be that person to lead it, um, I really think there's a variety of different, each community is likely going to be a different answer. Um, and you really need to look at it of uh, someone has to be has to be kind of said, here's the person in the organization who's running point, who every day they wake up, they're thinking about this, and this is what they're this is what they're focused on and worrying about. Now the question is, how can that person or that organization be the kind of entity that people can rally around, that people can have trust in, 
and feel like it's a fair convener who has their best interests in mind, not their own best interests in mind. Um, that can be done by creating your own organization. There may be an existing organization that has a track record of doing that or an existing organization who's looking for a new purpose. We actually took over an existing tr uh, technology trade uh, organization that had done some great events in the community but had kind of petered out you know, and, and wasn't doing anything else actively. So we were able to take them over, uh, take their 501c6 status, rebrand them, and then be able to move forward that way. Um, so keeping that conversation going, I think, is important. I think it's also important, this is something I've tried to kind of start putting some word out about, um, get people thinking about at least, is I believe that if when you're budgeting for building your network, you need to include in that budget some line item for how are you going to drive utilization of that network. And that's not just a marketing budget of how do you get people to subscribe to your network. It's the innovation, the utilization, these these much more get your get your hands dirty kind of deal. Because again, what the heck is the point of building the network if you don't if no one's going to use it to do innovative things? If it's just better, you know, as Joey Jarrell, I love how he says, if it's just about you know cheaper cable TV, it's probably not worth the effort that you're putting into building the network. Quite frankly, I think it's really only worth the effort if is if you are serious about trying to really really evolve and revolutionize healthcare and education and these types of these types of uh, aspects of your community. And that's not going to magically happen. You're going to have to take um, uh, some really concerted effort to make that happen because the thing that you'll see happen is that you will have a whole bunch of individuals in any or in any community of any size who are innovators who want to go do innovative things the challenge is how do you find those people and provide them the support structure they need to go do that because unfortunately too often uh, they end up having to innovate in spite of the organizations that they're a part of not because of the organizations they're a part of mm -hmm. uh, so really trying to be conscious of that fact as you're going through this um, I'm also hoping that we're going to start seeing um, some more collaboration through programs like US Ignite between communities that have these networks. Because unfortunately, another big thing we've been making a, a big mistake on as an industry is we're all reinventing the wheel. Every community has to do it their own way because they have their own unique constraints. But, but it seems like we're just making a lot of the same mistakes you know, over and over again um, as, 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 as an industry. And I think this is an area that is one that we can definitely move the needle on because while there may be some differences in how the network needs to be financed, what technology people want to choose, that can be a qualitative decision, uh, these different you know, things where maybe it needs to stay different. When it comes to revolutionizing healthcare, when it comes to re revolutionizing education, government, there are a lot of core founding principles that are going to be the same in every classroom, in every doctor's office, in every mayor's office. So there's no reason we can't be sharing um, in this information, sharing in the best practices and trying to inspire each other. You know, let's let's not look at it as, you know, Lafayette needs to be the hub of innovation, no one else. No, I don't want that. I want to have dozens of hubs of innovation across the country. Um, and we're all learning from each other and leveraging each other in that way. Um, I think we're starting to see more of that happen now with through programs like US Ignite. And I'm very optimistic about that. Um, but I would encourage everyone to recognize that individually, none of us have all the answers. But collectively, I think we can solve any problem that's put in front of us. Well, I'm very excited to see a network like Lafayette having a champion that's out there putting his focus on making sure people are using it, developing the innovations that the rest of us will all uh, come to appreciate uh, when we end up having the same network you've had for a very long time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for doing all the great work with FiberCore. Well, th thanks for having me, and, I, and, I, and we, I can say that we down in Lafayette look forward to everyone else in the rest of the country joining us someday in our fiber-powered future. That was Christopher Mitchell and Jeff Daly. Learn more about the organization and the projects it's working on at FiberCorp.com. That's FiberCorps.com. If you have comments or questions, email us directly at podcast at muninetworks.org. 
Our handle on Twitter is at CommunityNets. This show was released on October 2nd, 2012. We want to thank Fit and the Conniptions for the music, licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Spellbound. Spellbound.